You're listening to Flipping the Channel, conversations with experts and executives from the electronics industry. In each episode, we attempt to understand and unravel some of the business and technical challenges brought on by component obsolescence. Here's your host, Bill Bradford, president of Flip Electronics. Welcome to this episode of Flipping the Channel. And I'm very honored to have as our guest, Todd Harmon. Todd is the Director of Global Commodity Management with Keysight. And uh, Todd, it's really great to have you on our episode today. Yeah, thanks, Bill. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Good. So let's get started. Maybe just to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I started in the electronics industry in the mid-90s with HP Corporate, um, Corporate Procurement in Palo Alto. And I served as a commodity manager for everything from integrated circuits to plastics. I mean, you name it, I've managed um, the commodity. Um, in 1999, uh, HP decided to spin off their test and measurement business, uh, which became Agilent. Um, I, I subsequently moved over to Agilent. Um, at that time, I started working also more closely with our EMS partners, contract manufacturers, because we were doing a lot of outsourcing at the time. And that's where I also got my first taste of the uh, challenges of uh, dealing with potential counterfeit components. Um, and so I worked on the, uh, I mean, it's a longer story, but I basically helped to develop our counterfeit avoidance and response system, working with the DFAR that flew, flowed down from Department of Defense in 2014. So if we fast forward to 2014, um, Agilent actually split into two. Um, Agilent had become both a life science company as well as an electronic test and measurement company. So they decided to split in two and Keysight was born. So um, I went over to Keysight. Um, I'm the director of global commodity management at Keysight. Uh, we have a lot of old HP folks. They're not all old, but they have a lot of experience from HP and Agilent in our company. And it's really at Keysight that um, I really got ingrained on the voice of the customer, what they want to know about the supply chain, flow downs, et cetera. So that's what we're doing today. Um, I can give you, I'll give you a little bit more information on Keysight here in a moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, well, let's go ahead. Just tell us a little bit more. I mean, it's an interesting route, certainly from the HP and the Agilent days, but tell us a little more about the, what specifically Keysight is focused on. Sure, sure. So again, the roots of Keysight um, are from the Big Oak, which is um, you know the garage in Palo Alto. Yeah. So um, we trace our roots back there because HP was a test and measurement company originally before they got into all the other fancy stuffs, including calculators <laughs> at yeah. the time. Um, so um, when Keysight started in 2014, there's a concerted effort to move away from just purely a hardware company to a uh, software solutions company. Um, Keysight has been through its share of challenges, uh, specifically, and I was thinking about this today, we haven't only had to deal with COVID, Bill. We've been through, you know, Keysight is headquartered in Santa Rosa in the middle of the wine country. That's also the epicenter of some of the um, major wildfires we've had in California lately. Um, we've had the same issues even pop up in Colorado Springs and in Southern California and Calabasas. Um, so we have 
uh, Keysight has been tested and pressure tested. Um, and it's really it's just a testament to, to the company. We've been able to come out the other side there. Um, but if you look at Keysight and where we fit in the industry, uh, we're really at the heart of the digital revolution. Uh, we deliver solutions and insights in electronic uh, design, test, manufacture, and also optimization. Uh, our, our CEO, who's Ron Recession, likes to say that we help our customers connect and secure the world. So we do this across the entire communications ecosystem. Um, all aerospace and defense, it's a huge part of our customer base. Um, the automotive and energy markets, um, semiconductor and general electronics and markets. Uh, we're a big player in 5G. We took an early stake in 5G. We're a big player in next-gen automotive, um, e-mobility, Internet of Things, network security, and software test uh, automation. Um, and if you look at our customers today, um, it's really a who's who list of innovators. All the all the big guys we read about in the <laughs> uh, all the time. I mean, they're our customers. So we have a very diverse customer base. Um, in any case, uh, that's kind of where Keysight is. We're about a five billion dollar company, and we made the right investments at the right time. So we're we're very active at the moment. Yeah, well, you're certainly connected to all the all the hot markets right now, and uh, right 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 in the midst of things. Given mm-hmm. you know, given this backdrop, you mentioned of COVID and the fires and everything else that's gone on this past year. How would you summarize the the market from your perspective? So when we talk about the market. Um, Honestly, we handle a variety of commodities within my organization, so all of the markets are pretty tight. If we look specifically at the very the trouble spots for us now, it's a semiconductor market, and I think we're all dealing with the same thing. Uh, in a nutshell, it's very tight, it's very constrained, it's depleted. Uh, we've seen, um, we knew this would be happening, but still, when it happens, you now you're living it. You know, there's the COVID hangover effect. I call it a hangover because you kind of come out of it blurry-eyed and like, oh, no, it's it's slow to come back. Right. So, um, in fact, when we went into the shutdown period last um, March, uh, no one knew what was going to happen at all. I mean, we didn't know how long we we're going to be shut down. People were all doing business, husbands, wives, and kids all around the kitchen table, right? Sure. So, we were trying to plot out the operational footing of all of our suppliers during that time. And it wasn't super efficient the way we did it, but um, uh, that's what we found ourselves doing. So um, coming back from an equipment, uh, you know, lack of capacity, uh, coming back from that is slow. And if you couple that with the huge demand resurgence from both consumer and automotive, it just seems like it's, it's dried up the supply chains. Um, there's been a lot of uh, consolidation, obviously, in the semiconductor market. A lot of suppliers, or we had three suppliers in the past, Bill. Now they're all one. They're like the same supplier, but not with the same focus. And it is a challenge. And we have been experiencing that for the past several years. So I would just call it, it's a very frenetic atmosphere. It's hand to mouth today. And um, it's very challenging. And I don't see it going, I really don't see it going away (laughs) anytime soon. I think we're in this uh, at least for the next year and a half. Yeah. So what what do you see then the, the the biggest challenges in all of this to try to try to deal with it or survive it over the next couple of years? 
So um, our biggest challenge, it's not a new challenge, but it's exacerbated with uh, what's going on today with the long lead times is our ability to forecast, not just forecast for current production, but forecasting for new products and forecasting for new solutions where it may end up being a huge deal or it may not transpire at all. And um, that is very, very difficult when the time horizon is so long. We have lead times extending out, you know, beyond a year, like everyone is experiencing. And every day, it seems another supplier is sending out a message of a, you know, more lead times. And there's, obviously, there's costs associated with costs are rising as well. Uh, the other challenge that we're seeing are the bottlenecks that are developing in the lower tiers of the supply chain. Um, we may not see it uh, right away, but it may be impacting our suppliers. And in fact, we're finding ourselves having to help our suppliers help us and even micromanaging to some extent some of their supply chains. Uh, they just may not have the organizations in place like we do to manage all those suppliers. Um, a couple other challenges we have is just trade-off management. Uh, we can't boil the ocean, right? You cannot expedite every single part. We need to understand there needs to be a trade-off. Um, and it brings us to internal allocation. It's not just allocated externally. We need to understand a key site, and we have a very broad mix of product lines. Um, if we have a set amount of material, does it go to this program or to that program? Or do we? is there an important new product that's being introduced? Um, that is difficult to do. You know, we went through this in the 90s at HP with DRAM. There was a horrible allocation pro problem, and we had to internally allocate that across the business units. Um, so we're doing a little bit of that today. And then finally, uh, so many of us rely on our EMS or contract manufacturing partners, translating that forecast and understanding what's happening real time with the supply chain when you have such a huge partner involved, the contract manufacturers. Um, that, that is difficult, uh, translating that. Uh, so th none of these are really new. They're just, we're being pressure tested now and we need to be careful not to, not to create too much noise in the system while we're doing this. Yeah. Well, you know, given, like you said, we've been through a lot of these cycles in the past. They're not necessarily new problems, mm -hmm. but are they causing you to rethink how you are addressing the supply chain at Keysight? Um, Yes, yes. So um, even before COVID, I would say from the beginning of Keysight in 2014, uh, the one thing that we saw was a huge um, elevated interest from our customers and what's going on in our supply chain. Obviously, from a risk management standpoint, but we, you know, we get a lot of surveys. It really starts with the aerospace defense. You know, they want to know they they want to know a lot of information. Um, and in the past, uh, suppliers or Keysight could say, you know. That, that's that's up to us. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. That doesn't work anymore. So we've seen a much stronger interest in the supply chains themselves. And the issues we ran into is when asked a question um, and you name the customer, we would have to go back and dig to find the information. We had to do a lot of you know snooping around. It was and it was a challenge if we didn't have the answers. So we've had to develop new tools and frameworks. Really invest in the infrastructure. Um, so that we can answer those questions intelligently. Um, I would say that about a year and a half before we COVID, uh, we made a concerted investment in some 
uh, in doing supply chain mapping and really moving towards more of a risk mindset, not just cost reductions in, in our jobs. So we're really looking at risk and mapping out the supply chain. When COVID became the real deal and everything shut down, it just, it was like jet fuel was poured on the whole thing. And that became the number one issue was resiliency and risk management. Um, so the way we address it today, we actually have, it's one of our top programs, it's supply chain resiliency and risk management. Um, we are very much refocused or focused more squarely on supplier relationships because you've got to know who you're doing business with. Um, just like you would vet out your, you know, my daughter's boyfriend before they go out, you have to do the same thing with your suppliers and all of your suppliers, the OEMs, the distributors, you know, it really comes down to that. Do It's not always what you know, it's who you know. We've also had to extend our focus to suppliers on the periphery because we don't strategically manage every single supplier. We have probably over 10,000 suppliers, but specifically uh, in the uh, integrated circuit space, uh, there's suppliers we may only buy a couple of parts from, and we may not even know really who they are. We need to understand who they are because often what we're finding is they are suppliers for our power supply vendors or CPU suppliers. Um, so we really need to extend our risk management envelope. And that's what we're trying to do through very aggressive uh, supply chain mapping. Okay. So I, how, how important is traceability when it comes to this whole you know, risk and, and resilience of your supply chain? Is that important to you and your customers? How, how are you thinking about traceability of product? So the first, um, when we first started hearing of traceability, it was in traceability of, um, of like, a, again, an integrated circuit back, you know, it's a part provenance question. Do you have full trace back to the original component manufacturer? And we've spent a lot of time developing systems to ensure we have that. Um, and that, but that has changed. What we've seen today from our customers is they want full trace of maybe all the components in a system, um, even serialization in a system. And this is, so it's taken on a broader meeting. And I would say even beyond that, our customers are really, they're looking for visibility or traceability of everything. At least that's what I call it. Um, and this trend is not, it's not going to reverse itself. I don't see the train left the station here. Mm -hmm. um, they want to know about the manufacturing footprints of where parts are manufactured. Not every customer, but a lot of the important ones do. They want to understand the financial risk with our supply base. How many sole source suppliers do we have um, working with us? Um, it extends all the way, obviously, through our counterfeit avoidance you know, protocol in the system, but extends to corporate social responsibility or environmental uh, responsible sourcing. These things are actually very, very important to our customers. And um, so we are making it important for our suppliers as well. Uh, so traceability is absolutely imperative is what I would say. And it's becoming more important, more and more important um, every day. Yep. T t tell us where you mentioned counterfeit or uh, work earlier in your career. Now the counterfeit avoidance uh, processes that you have at Keysight. Tell us a little more about what that looks like. So um, what we had in the past, again, we were pretty early on this. We worked with some good partners in the industry on um, how to detect suspected counterfeits and how to, how to avoid them. 
Um, in 2014, it all came to a head when there was a, a DFAR, Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation, that flowed down, I think, in March of 14. And it required, um, in order to be compliant, required us to have a avoidance and response system in place. Um, so we had a real uh, cross-company um, effort to pull the experts together and say, see how far away are we from this. So long story short, um, I led that program for Keysight and we developed, um, actually this was at Agilent and rolling to Keysight, we developed a counterfeit avoidance and response system. Um, part of that was we embarked on a company-wide awareness and training campaign. Uh, we actually required it from every employee at the company to go through this training. And, um, you know, we've improved it over time, but really it's awareness, awareness of the massive potential liabilities associated with uh, suspect material, um, the importance of vetting your suppliers, and just, uh, you know, eliminating rogue procurement. So that's that was a huge effort. The other thing that we did um, is we developed a part acquisition standard. And that standard very simply states that you will buy material either direct from an OEM or you will buy from one of their authorized suppliers. If not, we have like a shortage supply chain. It's very strictly defined. I mean, we've been audited. I've sat through audits from uh, the prime contractors, right, in aerospace defense that are our major customers, uh, and they are very tough. Um, and I've sat through those where they've actually audited Keysight there. So we've developed that standard. It actually has the, um, you know, the risk of termination of employment um, if you do any rogue procurement. So um, along with that, we've just become really compliance evangelists. I mean, we have a bully pulpit. We get out there. We talk compliance all the time. In, in, in today's times, it is very hard because we all know that you can search for a part and you can find that part anywhere, at least on the internet. If it's real or not <laughs> is a whole other question, but you know, I don't care what you type in. You, 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 at least you think you've found it, right? So we need to be very careful, make sure everyone is aware of the issue. And it's a zero opportunity for failure business. We cannot show up on any newsreels, Keysight doesn't want to, and our partners um, and our authorized supplier partners they, they can't screw up even once, right? right? It's zero opportunity for failure. So that's the environment that we have, uh, that we've tried to create a key site. Okay, interesting. So, hi, you know, it's well and good for, for active products. I think an even greater challenge when you talk about end-of-life products. It, it, tell us about some of your experiences there. Have you had instances where EOL products start to affect your ability to produce and, you know, affect the, the overall effects on your supply chain? Uh, yes, so <laughs> we've had a lot of that. Uh, one of the things when uh, Keysight, really even Agilent spun off from HP, is we have um, our instruments that we sell, our hardware can go very long in the tooth, right? It lasts for a long time. Um, so we, we're dealing with the mismatch of our instrument life cycles with component life cycles. Uh, the, so yes, we deal with this a lot. Um, if it's a supplier, we know, you know, we obviously work with the OEM very closely. We see what we can do with them. Uh, and if they can help us out or we can keep, you know, extend the, the ramp or the runway so they can keep supporting us. Um, and at the same time, uh, we have to look for material. The big challenge when we get an end of life notice, 
One is if it's short notice and we have not had proper time to do the um, analysis. And just two, actually forecasting end of life demand for the instrument. Um, that is not a perfect science. And so we work with the OEMs very carefully and we leverage our backup supply chain. Uh, authorized shortages uh, or authorized sources first for shortages. And then we have other partners we work with if we really need to scour it. But again, we're, we're a very conservative company in that respect. We only do business with who we know. And, um, you know, we have the nth level of approval for um, any, any time we need to look anywhere outside of a very clear authorized source. Done. How, how would you say uh, any suggestions for how the industry overall could do a better job with managing component obsolescence? Yeah, so this is a, this is a tough uh, question. Um, honestly, we've had some of our suppliers, uh, some are better partners than others that just don't seem to manage it at all. They just tell us what they're doing and, and you know, we have to like pay a premium to bring the parts in at all. Um, I would say that for us, again, a longer runway is very important. Um, we ask for, you know, 12 months discontinuance notice in our contracts with suppliers. We don't always get that. Um, but that is, you know, time is one thing that we could ask for some help with. Um, and in order to really do it smartly within our company, we need to uh, do some very uh, collaborative roadmap sharing. So we bring our suppliers in, we have them share their roadmaps. Uh, they're in front of R&D, you know, we eat pizza and we look at these very carefully. And we really look towards them to help us design in, you know, for design for supply chain, design in products that are not on the wrong part of the, uh, you know, the maturity curve. So that's all, I mean, everyone does this, right? Everyone works on roadmap sharing. Everyone wants design for supply chain, uh, but we do need to find our way back sometimes. So any, any possibility of backwards compatibility, um, Anything like that is would be very, very helpful. Um, the other thing is to identify like a longer term support model. Uh, it would be very helpful if our suppliers and when they do, if they would help to normalize uh, the use of some of our author of their authorized sources. Um, we often find ourselves um, in you know situations where our suppliers they just can't support us. And they don't know where the material is, but we we have ways to get material. They're legit, but it's di it's a different way of going after material. And so, if there's a way that we could work proactively with our suppliers, and if the suppliers would normalize um, some of those uh, authorized uh, distribution partners, that would be very helpful for us. Because bottom line, we just need legitimate material, and we need enough time to do that trade-off analysis to understand, okay, do we extend the, um, do we just have to shift away from an option on a product? Um, do we have to buy 10 years worth of inventory? Believe me, we've done it before. It can be quite an expensive proposition. Um, or is there something else we need to do? Do we need to find a different supply chain? So we deal with it all. Um, you know, we have a whole organization tasked around this issue, Bill. It's not it's not easy, but um, it's the job of every commodity manager to, to have that discussion and really stay on top of the obsolescence issue. It's uh, it's massive for Keysight. Uh, always has been and probably always will be until we're 100% software, which is not going to happen <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah. 
No, it's very interesting. And, you know, obviously the, the whole focus and purpose of developing this podcast is, is try to get very specific around the whole idea of uh, electronic component obsolescence and how the industry is dealing with it and sharing of best practices. So this has been uh, extremely helpful, very interesting conversation. Uh, appreciate you taking the time out and uh, being our guest on this this episode. But, but before I let you go, I, I know you said you think we're in this tightness for for the foreseeable future. Uh, if you place your bet today, what would you put as the date when this uh, finally turns, when we're no longer in this heavy allocated market and back to the the days where the pricing power returns to returns to the customers. What what's your prediction? Oh gosh, well, <laughs> it's it's only my prediction. So I read, I you know, I read lots of different material just like you do. Um, so I would I would say what I'm telling my management because I'm on the hook for things like cost savings, right? Is that we're in this for? Uh, at, I would say at least probably through the end of FY22 for us. Um, that's what I'm thinking. And then I think it will change. It just takes a while to kind of, you know, we, the pendulum swings. It takes a while to move it back. But uh, again, recovering, recovering from COVID, a lot of it probably depends on how quickly some of these other um, regions and countries can really get back up to speed. I've actually been amazed at how quickly even Keysight has been able to come back to pretty full capacity. Um, but, you know, hopefully, Bill, uh, what we'll see out of this, uh, the pressure on the market is some more innovation, right? And different yeah. semiconductor innovation, which I've read a little bit about. And that's not, I, I'm not uh, an engineer, so I don't know what it is. But I have read of those opportunities as well. Right. So hopefully we'll come out of it and we'll have some other technologies also. Yep. Well, so it we'll seems see. to be a lot of the consensus, at least through uh, next year. So we, we've got to be dealing with this for at least uh, several more quarters. <laughs> right, right, right. So I have plenty of work to do, but I really appreciate you inviting me, um, Bill. I, I love this topic and I love working with uh, um, other professionals in the industry and um, we're all, we're all in it together, right? We all kind of need this stuff. So thank you for having me. Very good. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate you at the audience listening in to this episode of Flipping the Channel and I uh, hope you'll uh, continue to listen to our future episodes. You've been listening to Flipping the Channel. This podcast is brought to you by Flip Electronics, where we're making obsolescence obsolete. Visit www.flipelectronics.com for your authorized, hard-to-find, end-of-life electronic component requirements.